Welcome back to the Bag Drop, Untold Stories in Golf. Hey, Professor, good morning to you. You're awfully chippy today. I even heard a little Irish accent in that good morning. What's got you going? You know, oh, that's actually, <laughs> there is probably a little bit of Irish coming out of me now, boy. I uh, was watching one of our new club reels from our recent trip to Ireland, uh, and it was the Irish Rover song. So, so that's probably why wow. it's creeping into my dialect this morning. Love that. Love that. I am. Which also takes today's guest has me extra chipper because we're going to be talking about a place and uh, and a people that we both enjoy and has been a theme on this show quite a bit. But Jim Hartzell yeah. coming on to talk about his book. I'm, I'm pumped. I've been reflecting how lucky we are. Like Jim is both a dear friend and also I admire Jim in the golf world too. And think of the guests we've had that play both those roles, Sean Martin being another one, and kind of reflecting how lucky we've been, and, and today's going to be no different than that. Um, someone that's just truly passionate about the golf, or about golf and thinks about golf 24-7, and um, he's someone that golf is better for having in the game, that's for sure. 100%. Yeah, those these episodes are easy to get up and excited for. What's got you excited this morning? Oh, you know, I've been up since 4.30, just one of those mornings, just woke up and I'm like, I can't fall back asleep. So I don't know, excited might be not the right word, a little bit of a zombie mode as well. Um, Jim, I know Jim's going to get us through it, um, but I do have a fact for us. I do I do have a, uh, I'm going back to the productivity fact that I, I tried when I, 4.30 this morning, I couldn't sleep. Um, back in the dopamine world, right? We're going to go back there a little bit, actually body, body chemicals. Uh, how often... Uh, how often do you spend time not with your phone? Oh man, like like on my person, like within reaching distance. Yeah, it's it's can't funny. count sleeping. You, sleeping does not count. So give me wakeful but day. It is within reaching distance. I know there's like some science around that though too. Like it is within reaching distance of where I sleep. I don't know if that should count or not. But um, no, I I have. I'm in the, during the golf season, just a little look inside new club. Like I spend a ton of focus, focus time. There's just constant communication with clubs and, and whatnot. And a lot of it's email. A lot of it I try to do through my computer because it's a little bit more of a productive stance. But to answer your question, I've, I've really noticed that when that phone is close to me, I get like, I don't know, 75%, 50% of what I would normally get done in an hour yeah. because of notifications, because of of like just the, the need to check something. You think about something that you saw on Instagram and you go like to check it. Um, so it's all it's near me a lot. I think the answer is probably during the waking hours, like 95% of the time it's within reaching distance. Yeah. And I'm probably even guilty similar on that number. I've been a little bit more intentional, but but the point here, the fact here actually goes even a little bit bigger than that. It's not just about the phone, but it's actually just about being comfortable with yourself. So something to think about trying in terms of especially resetting your chemical makeup of your brain and body and like what you're producing and how you respond to it. Then even your ability to handle everyday stressors, anxiety, is to learn to be comfortable with yourself. And this isn't being comfortable with yourself in the affective way or the uh, or the mental health way of just like, Oh, I have a strong identity. You know, I'm good enough, strong enough, smart enough, that stuff. This is truly being comfortable with your ability to just sit somewhere by yourself, lost in your own thoughts. And with lost in your thoughts, not being focused on like a problem-solving task, a very focused thought, but just letting your thoughts go wherever, right? So something to try is get rid of your phone. I mean, I brought up the phone because you need to get rid of it. Don't have it within reaching distance. Don't have it even within the house. If you could put it in your car, shut it off, whatever. Try sitting on the couch for just a minute. And just relaxing, not thinking about 
anything. Then try two minutes. Then try five minutes. See how long you can go and just sort of sit there and exist, right? And let your thoughts you're not, ramble. You're not talking about along. meditation here. You're talking about just just sit. Yeah, like, again, don't do anything intentional. Meditation is a very intentional. People, uh, yeah. the, the, I guess, Americanized version of meditation is very much a, how, how do they framed it? As a relaxing thing. No, meditation is actually a, a practice of focus is what meditation was designed to be. It is an intentional thing. So I'm talking very much of an unintentional, just sitting there and letting your thoughts go where they are. It is a, you could argue it's a form of meditation, but it's not a focused form of meditation. It's just sitting there and just being comfortable and like, chances are, if you're not used to it, you're going to feel anxiety to being like, you should be doing something. You just need to train yourself to get used to that. Um, and see if you can get to that five or 10 minute mark of just being comfortable, just being, just existing um, and yeah. kind of build that in I, your, not necessarily daily practice, but regular practice. Yeah. I, I think well, one thing, and it, it leads to our guest today. Cause like I, when I do put down the phone, there's usually another screen in front of me. Like I just said, you know, I put my phone a couple feet away from me when I'm doing emails and focused work. I put my phone away when I'm trying to like get into a show, yeah. which by the way, the bear on FX. Wow, is it as good as I just see it all over the Dude, social medias? I mean, unbelievably over. good. David Posey, one of my just all-time new club member, early member, uh, Chicago guy. He's he's a restauranteur. He's a Michelin star chef. Just great dude. He's in the show. Is he really? His, his yeah, his hands are the lead chef, but he's also. <laughs> Uh, we should we should get him on the pod at some point. David Duchovny from Zoolander. If anybody gets that reference, is that's, <laughs> yeah. that's who? No, but he plays. Like they have a bunch of chefs in the show this season. But man, just the human element of it. Um, but I was I was bringing it up because I put my phone away when I'm like trying to get into a show or get and and then a book. And I think reading and golf have become this similar thing for me, where I put the phone away in, intentionally. And, but I'm occupied doing something and, and golf gives me the quiet moments, right? Yeah. I think, you know, uh, reading is quiet in, in, in a sense, but there's a lot happening, you know, input wise. So I, I, this is, it's just, it's really timely that you, you bring this up. Cause I was, I've been thinking about this more and more of just like, man, that damn phone, like it was, it is so linked to everything we do and it's so hard to get away from. But when I do, I feel I feel better. I feel good. Yeah. And golf and reading are, are those two places for me. Someone like Tim Ferriss, he'll go for two to three weeks, um, just go to like the wilderness. And he actually does a water fast, meaning a food fast, really, but just relying on water for that. But that, the overlying purpose is just being comfortable with yourself and just being immersed in your own rambling thoughts without any intention at all. Obviously, that's an extreme case, um, but it's something that's, we can all do. Started for us. So. So all you people that are listening to us on your phone, you know, right now, probably scrolling Instagram while listening to us, uh, you know, think about it. Think about a minute. Start with a minute, like the professor said, and and we'll go from there. Um, the other place where you can put the phone away, you don't have to. There's no policies around it. But this year's NV5 Invitational is head back to the Glen Club in Glenview, Illinois. Uh, the Path to the PGA Tour is running through there. It's presented by Old National Bank and returns to the Glen Club on July 25th through 30th. The Corn Ferry Tour season is heating up and the game's future stars are competing for a coveted spot at the next level. Speaking of some of those stars, one name in particular I'm gonna throw at you, Professor, that I'm really excited to see at the MV5 is Spencer Levin. Do you remember that job? I remember from junior golf yeah, days. I remember the visor wearing Spencer Levin, I believe. I mean, he's Rock he's a legend a at this point. Yeah, yeah. 
I know friend and past guest of this show and friend of Mr. Hartzell's, Tron Carter, huge. I mean, that's his that's his Twitter handle, is Spencer. That's right. Him. That's right. But I, I played a junior golf event with him, the Hudson Junior. And uh, man, what a legend to see him back on his game. I just looked it up this morning. He's 18th in the Corn Ferry Tour standings. So he's, he is, uh, I'm just, it's just so exciting. He's putting Happy Gilmore style. Like characters like that exist in professional golf. And I think people forget, but he's, it's such a great redemption story. So tickets are available at nv5invitational.com. All proceeds benefit the Evan Scholars Foundation oh, and foundation. important youth caddy programs. So uh, check it out. Go uh, go see July 25th through 30th. Thank you to the Western Golf Association and the MV5 Invitational for sponsoring the pod. All right, Professor, why don't we get to our show, would you? Yeah, let's do it. Jim Hartzell. Welcome to the bag drop. Thank you, Matt. Uh, it's an honor to be on with such an erudite scholar of academia. It's Dr. <laughs> Professor Kevin Moore. As he, you know, he has his uh, theories on the on the wall behind him there, which I won't, I, which I won't interpret for you for you you guys right now. But uh, and and Matt, great to be with you too. I, you, you've been a good friend the last few years, and you know, thank you guys for for letting me come on to talk. Here's here's the thing, Jim. Letting you. You're a tough uh, book. We, it was, we've been tracking you down, man. What are you talking about letting me? It's, it's been, it's been, Jim, you are one of the only repeat guests we've ever had on this show. I think it's you, Rob Collins, maybe Andy Johnson, and that's it. Like, you're a tough guy. Well, man, here's the, here's the thing, bud, too. Like, I spend my whole life trying to get people to read what I write. And I bet in, <laughs> not, not just one book, but in two books, you've probably beaten eyes on my work by tens of thousands. So, well, so kudos I don't know to about you. that. Thank you. It's been, it's been great the last few years and, you know, the books and writing for Golfer's Journal and Link's Diary, especially, which has been, they have been, it's so much fun working with and they, they're really doing a great job. And I, I've got a new story out just the last week with them and their new issue. And just, you know, it's helped um, do something that I really love, which is meet a lot of different people in, in the golf world. I mean, I get so many emails and you know, messages from people that have read one thing or another and they want to talk about it. And I enjoy doing it. Um, so, you know, that's part of the, you know, I didn't get into it to make money, although it is nice to, to, to get paid for, for things, but, uh, I, you know, it's, I got into it to, because I love golf and I like meeting people through golf and that it's really been a big, that's been a big uh, benefit from, from the writing. I think that's, that's always, in any conversation with you, Jim, or any of your books, like how much this game matters to you and just, it, you're a soulful golfer and you always have been. And, and um, I really connect with you, I think, uh, a big portion because of that. But many people don't know what your day job is. You know, you, you had to, to pay the bills somehow and uh, you're an architect. I am. Um, I've been a registered architect for, I actually think this is my 30th year to be registered. Um, and you know, it's been great. I love it. I love the creative part of it, uh, you know, designing things and, um, uh, you know, from nothing and, uh, you know, which does tie into the writing is a lot like that in my mind, you know, you sit down and you got a blank piece of paper and you're trying to put all these different elements together to create something. And that's one thing I've enjoyed about architecture. And, you know, it's funny, 
uh, in the last few years, it's even the architecture has, has intertwined with golf. And, you know, I'm working on a new uh, just massive practice facility at, for golf, the golf men's and women's golf teams at University of Alabama, which is under construction. I've talked to Kevin a little bit about it over the last year or so, and it's got a nine-hole golf course and a just an incredible practice facility and clubhouse. And it's going to be one of the most unique, you know, facilities in the country. And, um, you know, so I, to have golf and architecture intertwine has been a, a nice benefit in the last few years, which I, you know, I could never have imagined when I, when I graduated from Mississippi state, you know, all those years ago. <laughs> so, so was that move by Bama intentional to like reallocate their resources to golf rather than football since George has now taken over the, the landscape? Is that yeah, what's going on? I think that's probably what's happened. I mean, Saban is, yes, cruel. Saban has dropped off so far and, you know, he just had a horrible season last year and lost, lost a couple of games on the last play of the game. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but yeah, you know, we're really focusing more on, on golf and, and baseball and and things like that now. (laughs) Jim, I got to ask this, Art. That's, that is just cruel. I'll I'll get us off football because Kevin, I mean, you know, riding his high horse over at at Georgia for, for time being, for time being. Um, but you, you said 30 years ago in architecture and, and you rise in the, in the game, there's a popular TV show called Seinfeld. When George Costanza tells everyone he's an architect, do you take offense to that? No, Is that was that no. a badge of honor for you in the 90s? We laughed about that so much. I mean, we would literally, my friends and I just laughed out loud whenever he would do that. And, you know, because he just kind of pulled it out of the clear blue sky like like George would do things. And and he had no, and he had no concept of what an architect really did or what they what they were. And it, so, yeah, we we thought it was hilarious. I I still laugh about it whenever I you see a Seinfeld rerun on. I, I just yeah, having an architect on the show. I'm I'm rewatching some Seinfeld at night. That's one of my my go tos. And uh, yeah, what what <laughs> he redid the Guggenheim. Yep. George Costanza yep. did so. So, Jim, Professor, get us started. Has yeah, I want to dive into the architecture stuff because actually, you and I, you know, we've known each other for a while now, and we've spent a lot of time together and talked about just about everything. But one of the things I've never asked you about is, you know, you graduate from college, you become an architect. Have you seen architecture as relating to your relationship with golf and how you perceive golf from the beginning, or is that something evolved over time? I've never really talked to you about talked to you about that blend. No, I would say it's from the beginning because, um, you know, I was always, you know, some of these trips, the early trips I took to Scotland uh, when I had just gotten out of college, the ones I took with my dad, I was fascinated by clubhouse design and just you know the different styles of clubhouses you you know i'm really partial to a really tiny clubhouse and i sort of have a side thing when i go on these trips looking for these little unique structures and i love how a really good you know there's sort of a thing in golf where you know people sort of denigrate a certain group denigrates oh you don't need a clubhouse blah 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 well as an architect i i would disagree with that i think you know, some of the most fun you can have in a sort of nicely understated clubhouse is, is after the round, sitting around with your friends, you know, drinking a pint, talking about the shots. Um, and I think the the thoughtful ones that 
like Pan Mirror, which you you and I have played together, uh, or Shinnecock, or um, you know National Golf Links comes to mind. Um, uh, you know Newport National. Yeah, you know, there's some really the clubhouse can add something to the experience, and uh, I think I definitely think some of them are way overdone and over the top. But I mean, when you go to some of these in Ireland or Scotland or England and you just think, okay, I'm never going to, I'm never going to leave this place. I'm just going to sit here and, and, and look out the window and watch the 18th hole or the first hole or the first tee for the next three hours. And, you know, I, I often do that after a round. So that's kind of a long answer, but yes, I do. I have always seen a connection. Uh, and I've always looked at the construction aspects of golf. Um, you know, when I play, you know, how a hole might have been constructed or found um, in some cases in nature. Or, you know, so that's that part of it has always interested me, yes. Yeah, so you use the word experience a lot in that, in that answer there. And I think that's one of the things you're, you so be- beautifully do is capture experience. And you see golf as experience, right? That golf is situated inside of an experience. And your books certainly capture that. And, you know... Specifically, obviously, Matt and I brought you on because we want to talk about when Revelation comes because but, anybody that considers themselves a golfer should read that book. I, I consider it one of the best books ever written. Um, but I think that's related to your word experience there. Like One of the most striking aspects of the book that I walked away with was it's actually not a golf book. It's a, it's a book of grieving, loss, and a search for meaning that's set in the context of golf and the experience of golf or the backdrop of golf. And I've heard others say the same thing about it. When you when you sat down to write that book or working through it, was that on your mind from the beginning that the book would sort of have that ethos to it? Or was that something that evolved just through your crafting of the book, that it uh, would be a book built around, you know, these bigger aspects of life than just golf? Uh, that's a good question. I, You know, I, I had always intended... Uh, to write a book about Scotland. I've, I've been going over there for since I think 94 was the first trip I took over. And it just became a huge part of my life. And I, uh, it's something that I've loved and studied. And I've got a bookshelves full of books about Scotland and maps of Scotland. And, you know, I just, so I always intended to do that. Um, but obviously what happened with Jordan and the tragedy that occurred, um, it took on a little bit of a different aspect. I, you know, when I went on this trip, um, you really, for my own sanity, um, I didn't, I didn't necessarily know that I was going to write the book. Um, and I, I've talked about this a little bit, but you know, when I go on these trips, I always sort of keep a journal of, of everything. And, uh, when I get back to the room at night, um, before I go to sleep, if I'm not too tired, I'll, I'll write down what happened that day. Um, I'll write down the best holes that I played, you know, maybe a couple of shots. Um, if I happen to have a few good shots, uh, the, more importantly, the conversations that I had with people, um, you know, I'll, I'll even stop on the course and, and put a conversation in my phone if it's something that's, that's, you know, worthwhile. Um, so I didn't necessarily intend to do it. Um, but I remember I, I got back home and, you know, you sort of, for two or three days, you guys have been on these trips. You're just sort of immersed 
in your mind about what happened and you just don't really really for longer than that you don't you don't stop thinking about it and after a few days i opened up the journal and started looking through it and i thought you know this is this is the book that i need to write um you know it's it's really the outline is there in this in this journal um so i i sort of put together an outline and i started writing and you know i got about and I, and I knew that it had to be about what happened, but I also wanted it to be about Scotland and Scottish golf. And, you know, golf did offer a good framework to tell a story that I, I thought that people would enjoy because, you know, this is a terrible thing to write about. And, um, you know, there are parts of the book that I'm sure even for you, Kevin, are, are difficult to read. Um, you know, they're just very emotional mm -hmm. and, and, you know, there's no way around it. But the book, is not just about that and i've i've heard from an equal number of people who want to want to go to scotland and want to plan and ask me how to plan the same kind of trip or ask my advice on going to aaron or to i mean i was on the phone last night for over an hour and a half with a, a gentleman that had read the book a minister a presbyterian minister he emailed me and he said would you mind talking to me about your book he said i i'm i'm I, my my church has given me a sabbatical and I'm going to spend, I'm going to spend six weeks in Scotland and four of them, I want to stay on Aaron and I, and I'd like to talk to you. And we had the best conversation for an hour and a half last night with me telling him what he, what he, what I thought he should do and where he should go and where he should play and what he could do with his kids. And, you know, so I'm happy that the book has a, has that duality to it, that, that people can read it as a golfer and take a lot from it on that on that side of it too and just you know the beauty of, of the of scotland and the things you can see there and the people that you can meet so that's a, another long answer but i didn't it just kind of came to me and then and then quickly i just uh i'd written about four chapters of it um pretty quickly um and uh the golfer's journal asked me if i wanted to write anything about you know what had happened and I wasn't sure about it. And I, I told Travis that Travis Hill, their, their editor that, you know, I'm, I've already started writing a book about it. I don't know if I want to write a story about it, but I thought about it and, uh, I thought, no, this is probably a good sort of warm up for this book. And, um, so I wrote this story out, you know, just one sitting on a Saturday, uh, called Travis and I said yeah I think I want to do it I've already written it and I sent it to him and um they loved it they hardly changed a word of it and it, it that it kind of gave me a, a even better outline for the book if that makes sense um it, it kind of because the book is kind of the you know 60,000 word version of, of that story uh so yeah that that's kind of how it developed and it that the, the reception to that story actually really inspired me to, to, to keep going on the book, you know, um, cause it's not easy to write a book. I, I, I have to say, I mean, it, it, it takes a lot of work and, um, but the one difference on this one from the Sweetens Cove book, which has been, has done great. And I love, I interviewed probably 50 people for that Sweetens Cove book. You know, there was a lot of research that went into that. This one was just me and, you know, it was coming from my my mind and the things that had happened to me and so in some respects 
that made it easier to write, I guess. Um, you know, cause I, I wasn't relying, I, I was not relying on an interview with, you know, Tad King or Rob or Patrick Boyd or whoever. And, um, you know, so yeah, I mean, it, uh, that it, it's been an interesting process and, um, it kind of just happened that way, you know, just, it just seemed like the thing that I, that I needed to do. Jim, I, I, uh, you know, I think I had a profound moment. I've already shared with the professor. I, I asked myself if I was going to share it with you today, just cause you know, it's, it's a, a lot of heavy material in the book, obviously. And, um, I think it's important that I do, you know, cause I, I think this book has really resonated with so many people. And, uh, one of those groups is fathers and I'm a newish father and that story of, of grief and relationship and, um, with the backdrop of golf, as the professor said, it was really, uh, really profound. And I think this will be a long-winded, there might not even be a question at the end of this, Jim, but I, I just want to share it is that, you know, th there was a point, um, I don't even know specifically which point, but it was a memory of, of Jordan that, uh, just, just hit me, hit me hard personally, you know, as a father. And I couldn't, I couldn't keep the book going. I couldn't keep reading. I had to put it down. And, and I, and I, I wept a bit and my wife asked if everything's okay. I said, everything's fine. Uh, but it just kind of shook me to my core of what really matters in life. And, uh, and, and I just kind of sat there in bed and, and, you know, but I, I said, pick the book back up. Let's see where it goes, you know? And, and I did. And, you know, a couple pages later, we're on to the, to the next golf course with Robbie and, and you're, you're, you know, keeping those experiences. And, the, the profound moment I'm talking about is, man, I was just hit with probably one one thousandth one thousandth of what Jim's been going through, and 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 it's it's a, a sentiment of love, you know, it's a sentiment of love that that I only felt a portion of, but uh, love and grief, and and you have that realization. But I think the golf portion of it puts things, I know, perspectives overused, but it really does set well, you know, why does this matter? Why does the golf matter? It's, it's like, this is the stuff that is, is important in life is our, our, our health and our families and our friends. And then you realize that it's, it's about keeping going, taking the good with the bad. And we all have our bad and we have to deal with it. And, and it doesn't mean you stop. It means you, you keep searching for whatever that is. And, and I just wanted to share that with you because the more the book has gone on, I, I, I can't remember in a, in a book, having cried and laughed and, and just had moments of joy. And, and isn't that like, it's so beautiful because that's, that's well, what life that, is. Yeah. And yeah, it, it is life. And, um, you know, Kevin knows this cause he and I are on a text chain that, um, basically is 99% humor. And so I try to have humor is a big part of my life too. I've always, I've always dealt with things kind of in a try to, in, in a disarming way and try to find the, the humor in it because if not, you're going to lose your mind. And, you know, so I think throughout the book, at least for me, there are some, some really funny things that, that happened and I, I wanted that to be in there. And, you know, but I did, Matt, you know, I wanted young parents and fathers and, and mothers to, to, to take something from this because, you know, there's just, um, you need to, you need to, what's important in life is, is, is taking advantage of the time that you've got with your children. Um, 
you know, because it goes by quickly and, you know, I just wanted people to understand that, that, you know, it's easy to lose sight of these daily moments. I mean, you know, some of the things that still upsets me the most when I, when I think about it or, or read back the book are just the, the basic things that we did that, you know, stopping after a tournament that he won or, um, and at some place that he liked to eat or, you know, taking him to a golf shop to get some lead tape. I mean, he was always fooling with his clubs. He, he, he was, he'd had lead tape on this Scotty camera that he loved and he'd gotten it exactly like he wanted it. And, um, you know, I, I keep that putter right by my, where we're sitting right here. And, and, um, so I, that's part of what I've wanted. And I'm glad to hear that, um, because I wanted parents to, to, to understand that. And, and I've heard from a ton of young parents like yourself. I mean, just, I couldn't even tell you how many emails and messages I've gotten just from people saying, you know, this has really made me think. And, you know, I really want to, I've really kind of changed my outlook on, on, on parenthood here a little bit. And so that, that means a lot to me. And, um, you know, I also, I wanted to remember Jordan too. I mean, Jordan was such a brilliant golfer. He had the best short game I have ever seen. I mean, it was good. And you can, you could ask some of his friends. It was, it was as good as Mickelson or, I mean, you know, Seve or just, he just had this imagination and creativity that the players like that, come up with these shots that you just nobody else thinks about and uh so i wanted a little bit of that in the book too and i just you know i just i loved watching him play so much and you know there there's a funny scene in the book where i'm with his at least sort of funny to me i'm with his best friend who is now the women's golf coach at, at jacksonville state here in alabama and uh, he was a few years older than Jordan, but he sort of took Jordan under his wing when Jordan started playing on the high school team. And Robbie would take him to practice every day, come pick him up. This is when Jordan was in sixth grade. And they played together for, you know, probably four years until Robbie graduated and, and went off to, to to school. And But anyway, he when the year that they won the state championship, Robbie was in, in, prof, in the professional golf management program at at Mississippi State, and he came to watch the final round, and uh, he was he walked with me the entire day, watching Jordan. And there's a scene toward the end, and you guys played competitive golf, and you remember. There's nothing high school golf to me is the greatest thing in the world. I mean, I it is absolutely. I played. Uh, I actually played six years of it. Jordan played six years. Um, what high school did you go to, Jim? Six that, years. Well, Would they put you on the, seventh grade. They put me on in seventh grade because we need. They didn't have enough players. <laughs> they, they only had four, <laughs> and they needed five. So um, I was the only other person they could find, and it it worked out great because, you know, I learned so much from those. I was playing with a bunch of seniors and juniors, and you can imagine uh, what that was like. But what I'm, you know, you guys remember the those matches and those tournaments, and you just sort of. There was something magical about these tournaments, the playoffs especially, where you you had a feeling what the score was, but you didn't know. You know, do you, do you guys know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. Like you knew that you, exactly you're, you're like, about. okay, I'm we, we're we're right there. We're, we're we're either we're within two or three strokes, or maybe we're leading now. But you somehow knew it, and um, there's a feeling of in the air 
that's just indescribable. And and we'd gotten down to the, I think it was the next to last hole. And Jordan, we knew that we were just literally tied with this other team. Um, it had to be one or two strokes, and he he was completely just dead on this in this line. He, he makes this incredible shot. Or I, I'm standing there and I told Robbie, I said, Robbie, he's completely dead. There's no way this is, he can't get this within 30 feet of the hole. And Robbie said, no, he'll get it up and down. Just matter of fact. And he takes this huge swing with a, with a 60 degree wedge on a down slope, somehow pops the ball straight up in the air and gets it to stop about eight or 10 feet from the hole, which you, you could stand there for a week and not, and not do that. And, uh, Literally, to keep it on the green was, would have been a good shot. And then I said, well, before I could even save it, Robbie said, well, he'll make this putt. And, of course, he knocked it in. And we wound up winning that day. And, it, you know, it's one of the happiest days of my life. I've, I've talked about it a little bit in the book. But, um, you know, I did want to – that was part of what I, I wanted people to remember, you know, what a, what a good player he was and, and you know, and would have and continued to be. So – you know, that's part of that was another part of the book that I that I wanted to make sure I had in there. Yeah, that the, there were so many sections uh, of the book that I could read off. I think one that hit me um, for my own relationship with fathers, and I think everybody listening could relate to this: is golf is often a game for fathers and sons. It's more than a game, but it's more than a game. It helps us communicate. It helps us relate. And I think that's what you're saying right there, right? Is like, sometimes I didn't know what to say to my dad uh, growing up, but sometimes just going out and playing golf with him. A hundred percent. We didn't have to. I mean, it's. It gave us that ability to A hundred percent. I mean, it's just, you know, my dad and I still play um, once or twice a month. He's 79. Um but you think about that. I mean, when you're when you get to a certain age, it does. It can become hard to communicate, um, especially when you're 16, 17, 18, 20. You know, just it's an awkward time, and you know, you don't know. You you think that you know everything, and you don't realize yet that your parents really do know a lot. <laughs> but you think, and um, <laughs> but it it does. It, it it gives you a way to 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 communicate with with your with your with your dad and. Um, you know, some of my favorite memories are, I write about it a lot. Um, you know, my dad and I played every Saturday at this course, you know, sort of 30 minutes North of Birmingham, Alabama. And the things I remember the most are the ride up there and the ride home, you know, even more than the golf, you know, and, um, Anyway, uh, makes me a little bit emotional thinking about it, but it just, that's, that's what golf can do for you. Um, you know, it can, it can help you communicate. It gives you a sort of a framework and, it, and, um, so th for the, from that standpoint, it's been, it's been a, it's been a huge part of my life. What, what is it about golf that does that? I mean, at its core, it's a silly, stupid little game, yeah. right? Like yeah. It's a, it's a hobby. It's a leisure. Like if you just like strip it back, like that's all it is. And it's a silly, stupid game. Like I'll tell you, yet, what, I'll tell you what, do, what, what is it about it that yeah, like evokes this? Yeah. I, I think I, I, what I think is that, um, and it's, and it's also the reason that golf has the best literature of any, of any sport. I mean, I've started a podcast just to talk about it because I love it so much. And, um, but I think it's the fact that, 
The Duffer's Companion. The Duffer's Literary Companion. Guys, yeah, available on Spotify I mean, and Apple. But, uh, um, but I thought our show got smart with the professor on, but both <laughs> Jim Hartzell and Stephen Proctor. That is a lot of words that have been yeah, read. And, uh, yeah, great. Show, Thank Jim. you. And we've enjoyed. We're having fun with it. But and I hope you know. I hope people are enjoying it. But the, the Kevin, what I think is golf is a long game. Um, you know, it's longer in the U S than it is in Scotland, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it's probably, but you've got three or three and a half or four, four and a half hours that you're walking with, with three people or two people or one, another one or by, you know, and it gives you an opportunity. I mean, think about some of the best conversations you've ever had. I bet they've been on a golf course. Um, you know, you, you're talking, who knows what you, where it could go. You could be talking about a movie or another golf course or a book or something that, that you're doing in your life. And, um, you know, you wind up becoming, I, I can't think of any other thing that you, you sort of almost after one round, you've got a new friend or somebody that you've met and, and, um, you know, it, it's just a, it's just because of the human interaction of it, I think. And also just the, the fact that it's a, I'm real big on, and you'll, you'll you guys know from following me and reading, I mean, I'm rarely going to give you a whole by whole recount of, of what I've shot or what I've done, or, you know, if I hit a good shot or have a good hole, yeah, I might, of course I might talk about it. Who, who everybody should do that. But, and, and I don't begrudge people that like to, to, to do that. It's just not the, it's not what I get out of it. Um, it's the experience of being out in nature and, and looking at this, these beautiful places. And, um, you know, that's what I take from it. And I think that's why, I think that's why golf does that because, um, it's because of that human element to it, which you don't have. And we've all played pickup basketball and, you know, we, we played backyard football and or real football and it's just, it's not the same thing. It's, it's, it's just totally different. I, I, my, my wife likes to say, uh, and I think she found this on a meme or something, but, um, golf was so that men could go on walks together. You know, that's why it was created. And, uh, we, we joke about that, but I, but what I tell her is that's true. It is the element of being outside and walking with somebody else, hopefully walking. We need more walking over, over here too. Uh, harder in July for you boys down South. But, but the, what I tell her is the problem with that is I don't have to be vulnerable with a friend on a walk. When I play golf, I have to be vulnerable. Meaning I'm, I'm putting myself out there because golf is hard. Golf is this mental battle and it, 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 the competitive nature of it. And I will be showing more of myself to that person. And so I, I recognized a few years ago, not even that long ago, that, man, why, why am I opening up to the professor more on the golf course than I am, you know, sitting at a pub or sitting, you know, elsewhere? And a lot of it has to do with the fact that my insecurities are being shown, my, my competencies are being shown, but like more of myself is being shown because of the game, because of the sport of well, golf. Well, yeah. I mean, Kevin and I have played a good bit, bit of golf together at Sweetens Cove a lot. And, um, you know, I can't think of how many times we'll just stop <laughs> off to the side and talk for five minutes while everybody's, <laughs> they're up at the green and we're 150 yards back in the fairway, still talking about something. And, you know, we, 
will eventually catch up, but it just, yeah, I mean, I think it just, I don't know, it just does that. And, uh, I think it's great that it does. Uh, you know, I think it, it gives us a way to express ourselves and, you know, maybe, in a maybe in a setting that we feel comfortable which you're you know you're right i mean you 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 are when you hit golf shots in front of people i mean you are exposing yourself because it, it you know um and i do i don't want to say that i don't and i mean i know i mentioned that i you won't hear me recount scores and stuff which you, you generally won't but i do love having to hit a shot under pressure um i that i do love that so much um I think that is so much fun. Um, you know, we were up at Sweetens last week or two ago for a thing, and we had a at, we had a shootout sort of at the end of the day where we played a couple of the the Illumina, Illuminati holes, and we played alternate shot the entire time we were there. Which, as an aside, is my favorite form of golf. I would just honestly, I'd probably play that ninety percent of the time if that's if that was available. But you know, we played that and. My partner and I, it was a two-hole thing, and Kevin will know this hole. It was from uh, it was from eight green, or beside eight green, um, over to number five. And it's a hard, very, very, very mm-hmm. hard hole. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But it, and, and at any rate, um, my partner had a good, had us in a good spot, and I was, I was behind the tree, and but it was a good drive just to, just to get it playable is actually a good drive. And, and he, we were sitting there and, and I also, and you know, I also love, and this Kevin has heard me talk about this ad nauseum. I also love the discussion about a golf shot. Like I would be a caddy. If I started over now, I would be a caddy. I, that's what I would do. I, 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 I love my favorite thing on a golf telecast is when they, and I'm digressing a bit, but when they, when they do have these interactions, like, when it used to be Phil and Bones or, or, you know, whoever it might be, you know, that, that has a has a really sort of back and forth relationship with their caddy. But anyway, my partner was saying, well, can you cut this? I, he had, he said, can you cut this around the tree? And there's probably 50 people watching. And I said, yeah, I can. And I just, I just went up there and hit this cut shot that landed about five feet from the hole. We, we birdied this hole, which is just literally impossible. You cannot birdie this hole. And so we, we wound up winning this thing, but I love, um, I love pressure shots. Even if you don't pull them off, um, you know, if you're playing a fun match with your friends, it comes down to the 18th, the last hole, the ninth or the 18th, and you've got to really do something and you do it. That is fun to me. Um, Mm. you know, that's just pure fun. And, uh, more so than, what the score might be, the fact that you pulled off this shot when you needed to, that's a really fun element of golf. So I don't know if that answered the original question, but it just is something that just popped into my head. Yeah. You're Jim, you're really good at articulating like what you consider important to golf and like the, 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 the soul of it. And that aspect just pulling apart, like the mm-hmm. score is not important. It's the executing that shot yeah. under pressure. Yeah. That's the important thing, yeah. whatever that might mean. What do you consider the core elements of a golf experience? I know you've thought a ton about this. Like you had to strip it down and say this is the core these are the core elements of a of a pure golf experience. Um, what would you boil that down to? Mm, to me it's the and I don't know, this may not resonate with a lot of people, but the friendliness of the club, 
of the course, the way that you're treated by people goes a long way with me. You know, that's one reason I go on ad nauseum about Scotland. But, you know, when you go to these places and people are genuinely interested in your thoughts about their golf course and they want to hear what you think about it. Um, I love that sort of interaction with, with people that, you know, talking to them about their home course. And, um, so, you know, and I love going in a place and their people are happy that you're there and they want to talk to you about why you're there. Uh, I don't know that, you know, we've all been places where that is not the case. And think about it. It puts you in a bad mood when you start when you start the round. It, it does. I mean, you, I'm sure y'all have all been to these courses, and you're like, "Well, man, that wasn't very friendly." <laughs> now, and all of a sudden, you're you start off and have a double bogey the first hole. And I mean, there's something to be said. I've got a, uh, you know, there's something to be said for your mental. There's a lot to be said for your mental, uh, st- how you feel mentally. Uh, before you start, I mean, I've got my, Robbie, my friend that I, that I write about a lot. Um, you know, he does not. He he has to get to the golf course about an hour before he starts because he's told me he said if I drive up at the last minute, he said I'm going to be rushing all day. I cannot. I just can't do it. I, I I've got to get there. You know, putt, do my, you know, have a sandwich, do 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 whatever he's going to do, and not and and so I think um, you know that mental part of it and and so this is a long way of answering that question i think that is one thing kevin just kind of the 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 attitude of the of the course and the people there and and how you're treated and then to me i just love um you know that i love quirky golf courses i love i love unusual golf holes um you know you could look at the places that i love and write about a lot and you know a lot of people would think you know how could you they they would hate it um but i love you know having to hit blind shots or you know having to play play a shot off a of mound to get it to to go where it needs to go or uh you know the fact that on a few, some hole at denaverty you've really got to be on the the left hand side of the fairway or you're not going to get the ball on the green you're just not going to um and so i do i love um you know I love courses that are unusual and natural and a little bit wild. Um, and so those two things, you know, and then, and I'm, I'm really big on the, the natural setting too. I mean, I have to admit, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm taken in by a view from a T as, as much as anybody. Um, and then, you know, I think, and this is a little bit of pedestrian, but I think, the pace of play can affect how you feel. Um, you know, I remember a few years ago and you and I both have played, you know, hundreds of rounds at Sweetens Cove and, uh, it got so crowded that it took two and a half, two hours and 45 minutes to play nine holes. And that just, as much as I love that place, it just ruined it for me because it's not the way that you can't, at least for me, I can't, I can't enjoy it. I mean, golf is sort of about movement and, you know, that's one thing I love about these links courses. Like you, you guys have both played the old a few times. One of my favorite things about the old course is there's a sense of constant movement. Like, you know, you see these people walking in the distance and you, it's almost like, I don't know how to describe it, but it's just this feeling of everything's flowing and you see somebody playing the, 
the second when you're on the the 16th and you see people in the distance and you sort of start turning and walking toward town and it's just this flowing thing and i don't know that's i don't know if that's i don't i'm trying to answer your question i hope i hope i am but those are the kind of things that that mean a lot to me you know and and make and make golf special to me it's like that old course analogy i i've called it I know exactly what you're referring to. It's like it's its own yeah, organism, yeah, its yeah. own ecosystem, and it carries all the way to the Dunvegan. It does. <laughs> you know, it's like into town, and it's just permeates through everybody, and you you feel so connected to golf and others, and and that's why these community courses that you feature, I call them community courses because they're obviously part of the fabric of it. And, and that's one question I wanted to ask you, Jim, is these places um, – that you visit in, in the book, uh, for me, who you know, I'm, I'm up there in the echelon of, of golf nerds. I, I've read not as many books as you, but I've read a number. These are all fairly new courses to me, and I'd imagine that's going to be the case for majority of your readers, majority of golfers. Now you have that library up there of Scottish golf books above you. Are these courses in a lot of your favorite books, or? Is it fair to say that you might be one of the first golf writers to really feature these places? Um, probably on some of them, I would say. I mean, you know, it's interesting. You know, my favorite course that I talk about ad nauseum, probably people get tired of it, but um, is Denaverty. And, um, you know, I, I talk about this in the book, but, you know, I had on that first trip in 94, um, my dad and I had been planning to go and, you know, but I had just I had read to the Lynx Land by by Bamberger, and he doesn't even mention Denaverty in his book at all. And uh, you know he has a, you know the main thesis of his book pretty much winds up at Macrahanish. So we we I told my dad you know he had said you know he he paid for everything and he said look you plan the whole trip. Uh, I just want to go to the old course in Carnoustie. He said we can go wherever else you want to go. And so. I said, well, we're going to Macrahannis for a week. And he had never heard of it. Um, and really, the only way I'd heard of it was through that book. And I did not know a single uh, other American friend or p- person I played golf with that had ever heard of the place. So we went there, and we just had a great time. I played 54 holes one day, 36 most. Just you know, played golf until I just literally fell in the bed. And then this gentleman where I stayed, and I, I won't go into detail because it's in the book, but he had, he he recommended that we go over to Denaverty one day, and we drove over there and we just completely fell in love with it, and I just couldn't quit thinking about it. Um, you know, I, I actually joined Macrahannis after that, but I every time I would go, I would play Denaverty as much as Macrahannis, and so you know maybe it's I don't know that to me it's changed a lot in the last 30 years. I mean, I love, I love the big courses and I tell people to go play them and they're great. And you know, the old course is just like a world of its own. You just, you know, playing the old course is just a, there's nothing else like that in, in golf. I, I defy somebody to tell me that there is, but, but I gravitated toward these places like Denaverty and Shishkin and Corey, um, and Derness and, you know, just places that, you don't hear a lot about and um that's kind 
Places that are tough to pronounce too. They're by tough the way. to pronounce. I, I read your book and I'm like, I'm saying this totally wrong in my head. I know. Yeah, that. <laughs> I mean, look, don't feel bad. I mean, it's taken me. I've finally gotten to where I'm decent on pronunciation, and I still make some mistakes. But um, Robbie's been great the last few years. I'll say, Robbie, how am I supposed to say this? And he'll tell me. And then I, after I've said it a few times, I'll like where he lives, Lakilpid. It took me five years. And I, you probably still, you probably still don't know off. how to pronounce that word. I mean, and you know, but he, th- that's one thing I, that I love about language is um, if you look at the word lock, gill, gilp, head, it means that the town is at the head of lock, lock, gill. Um, and so you'll see, if you look at a map of Scotland, you'll see that a lot, um, you know, that these words, these names have a meaning to them that is a little bit different and I, and I love that. And, uh, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's don't feel bad. I mean, I, I've, I'm okay at it, but I still mess up a few times. And, um, but, uh, I just tell people that, and I, you know, this guy that I talked to last night, you know, I was telling him to go down to Denaverty and, and Macrahanish and, and, you know, all the courses on Aaron. And I just feel like it's a different experience than, going somewhere and a busload of Canadians or Americans are getting off to, to check off another course. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm happy that people get to do that because that's the only way that you can, some people can do a trip and there's nothing at all wrong with it. But for me, I prefer being at a place with local members and, you know, not, totally overrun and and maybe not maybe a little bit rough at the edges i mean matt i've i've played golf courses that i dearly love you know iona and isle of collins say that a lot of people listening to this would probably think that was out of my mind you know but they're they're literally they're literally manicured by sheep that are on the golf course and uh the greens are cut maybe once a month by some guy that lives on the island that loves golf and he, you know, and, but I love that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, to me, it's about hitting shots. It doesn't really matter, uh, you know, how it's manicured in my, and I mean, look, and I'm not, I love, I love a nice, you know, of course it's in great shape. I mean, I've told people over the years, Muirfield is like absolutely the most perfectly manicured golf course on the entire planet. I mean, it's to the point where it's not even, I don't even understand it. Uh, and I, and that there's something to be said for that. Um, but I just love these, I love these off the beaten path places. And I send people there, especially on the West coast, which is just a, the islands and, and the, the outer Hebrides are, are just, uh, a place that I love and I've loved for 30 years. And I, I think about going, I think about being there all the time, honestly. Yeah, I think something to be celebrated, Jim, is your your sharing of these experiences, right? And your sharing of these nondescript places that most of us would never, never hear about. And like you said, I, I'm a proponent of like your first trip over, get the bucket list if you want to. I think that I did that. I'm glad I did that. So I can say I've played the Crudens, I've played the old courses, I've played the Carnoustis of the world. And I think as a first trip, that's great. But now like I have that desire of like the experience you're trying to share. And I know... You have something really cool coming up that's going to be released soon. You, you spent some time with the No Laying Up guys, so maybe you could 
share that with the audience as an, an alternative way for those that don't maybe want to dive into literature, which everybody, sh- again, should read your book. Like, I cannot stress that enough to every listener that should, if you don't have it, get on Amazon, get on Back Nine Press, order it right now. Um, but if you're more of the the visual audience and, and you want to see those shots you're talking about, Jim, tell us a little bit about that trip well, that's happened recently. I am extremely excited about this. I, you know, the, the, the No Laid Up guys have been friends of mine for several years now, again, through Sweetens Cove, the magic of Sweetens Cove, you know, um, mm-hmm. I met Tron and, and, and DJ and, and, and Big Randy and well, all of them really. And we just hit it off and I, you know, Tron and I became friends and, um, you know, obviously they've been, they've been, I've written for their website and, um, you know, I've written about Scotland for their website and I know probably five years ago I was playing with Tron at, at Sweetens and, uh, we were, we got to talking about Scotland and he said, uh, you know, he just became sort of enthralled with me talking about these places like Matt, like what you're talking about, like places he'd never heard of. And he said, we're going to go over there. I want to go on a trip with you someday. And I didn't think anything about it. I mean, I, I'd only known him for a few days and, um, um, but we, you know, we continued to, I played in a couple of their golf tournaments and, you know, started writing for them. And anyway, they've been big supporters of, of my book. And, um, you know, obviously when Jordan died, I, uh, you know, I heard from them just pretty quickly. And so he, Tron called me after he'd read the book and he said, Hey, I want to talk to you about something. He said, you know, this, this is just great. He said, it's, it's one of the best things I've read. And, um, how about we take a trip over there and, uh, sort of, he knew I was, I was, I had a, I had a book signing scheduled for Denaverty. We sort of called it our UK book launch. And, uh, he said, I want to go and, and we want to make a, a film of, of that and just go to some of the places in the book that with some of the people that you played with and just, and just do a, a story about that. And, um, so I said, sure. Yeah, that sounds fun to me. And uh, I'd never done anything like that. And, um, he and DJ came to Hartsell here and spent a couple of days, um, talking to me about the book and Jordan. And we just talked about everything really golf related and, you know, and, and then, um, we went over and they had two uh, video uh, videographers that were there. You know, one of them, Kevin, Matt Golden uh, was there. Shout out Matt Golden. Matt's a nice, great guy and very talented, MG. very talented. And, um, um, and another young guy called Patty that was, he was from Ireland. He was delightful. He was, <laughs> he was 24 years old and I kept forgetting um, that he was that young. Although he did at times you could, it would, some of the stuff he did, you would, it, it kind of gave himself away. But anyway, they, um, they filmed, uh, Tron and I played, um, we played Denaverty. We played an open at Denaverty with, uh, with Robbie and, um, another friend of mine named, named Harry McLean. Uh, so it was a, it was a two man, uh, best ball and, uh, four ball, I should say. And, and, uh, we had fun, had a great time. Anyway, we, we, we had about eight or 10 days and, we just Tron and I had an ongoing match. We at, at we played at Macrahanish. We played at Shishkin, um, Corey. Uh, we went out to Iona, which was incredible. And um, 
we had we had a he's probably I probably get 10 strokes off. I think I get 10 off of him and so we had a we just played a match uh, whether it was 9 or 18 holes and it was funny it came down to the last we wound up the week 3-3 three, three and 2 so I won 3 he won 3 and we have 2 and I just I'm excited for people to see some of it cuz some of the my short game just was for whatever reason was just on fire and I just uh I don't know if that's going to be a thing. I haven't seen what they're going to how they're putting this together and that these guys are extremely talented. I know y'all have seen some of the I mean they've just gotten so good at this at this stuff and they work so the one thing I will say kind of since we're talking about it is I've heard people say Oh, those guys got it made. All they do is talk about golf and blah, 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 and they get paid to go play all these places. They work extremely hard. I mean, every single night, you know, we would play all day. We were, we'd play and go look at, go somewhere to look around. And Tron would say, look, when we get back to the room tonight, we've got to spend a couple hours and we, and we'd recap the entire thing, you know, um, on, on like an interview or re- record it and you know and this was every night and um you know we'd, we'd get through playing and i'd be wanting to go eat and they'd say well no 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 the light's good here we need about an hour we're going to fly our drones for about an hour and it's just they just put a lot into it so I'm, I'm really excited i think it's i've seen some of the raw footage that they've shot and um you know there's robbie's in it and uh, they have a really they film my book signing which was wonderful there's probably there was a great crowd there from the club and so many people came down from around scotland that you know uh george clark who's uh, a a member at cullen um and is actually in their their video their tour sauce series in scotland george has become a friend of mine and he he drove all the way down from aberdeen he wound up playing with us at, we played a match at macrahanish uh, with uh george and robbie um, so I just think people enjoy it and, um, it's a lot, I talk a lot about the book, um, and a lot of the people that are in the book are in it. And, um, I, I hope, uh, it may, it may be, there was so much good stuff. Uh, it may be more than one episode. I don't know exactly what the final, uh, thing, how it's going to turn out, but we, we had so many, as you, as you might imagine, we just had so many sort of misadventures and, um, <laughs> On the Isle of Mull, on the way to Iona, um, Tron wanted to drive that day, and um, he—it wasn't his fault—but he hit a pothole and blew out both tires on the. And we're on this island, and I mean, you can imagine—it's just—it. I can't imagine how funny it's going to be on the on the video. It's it's not. It wasn't funny in real life, although, oh, you know, just the, everything we had to go through to get to this. We, we, we finally just left the car on the side of the road and said to hell with it. We're going to go. We've come all the way here. This this <laughs> friend of mine on Iona sent a guy to pick us up in a van. We had to get, then he had to, we had another ferry we still had to get on. We couldn't get on the ferry because we'd missed that. So he came and picked us up in his boat, his own boat, and took us across to this island. I mean, just stuff like that that you can't make up. And, um, you know, I hope. So. I, I know yeah. we're. No, I know we're talking about the the YouTube series with the NLU guys, and I can't wait for that. But I, it does make me think, Jim, of how good you are at writing about the experience of travel. And one one specifically, I just want to put this on your radar because I know your publisher, 
Mr. Sitar, Jim Sitar. He's, he's the editor for the new club blog. God bless that man. Back nine press, check him out. Uh, I've already put this on his, on his radar. So I want to give it to the, the writer, the artiste. Um, the way you talk about sandwiches and soups, uh, toasties specifically, I'm thinking our next book needs to be solely dedicated to the art of soups and toasties. Um, because you are very, I, I just, I, you put me in the, like, I can taste yeah. it. My, my, my mouth actually starts to water when I read about the soup and sandwich that you're having for lunch. Can we get a whole coffee table book? Do you think that's a, a can we get a deadline? Let's just say, I don't want to push you too much. I know you got a lot going on. Maybe like, you know, fall of 23, something like that. Well, um, it's funny. Jim is actually working <laughs> on a book that it's not exactly that, but, uh, I had given him the idea last year of, you know, why don't you get, do sort of an anthology book, get a bunch of different writers and give them a topic to write about or let them propose a topic. And I've written a story for that one. And I'm, I think it's going to come out this year. Jim, he's still working on it, but that's uh, really about sort of the travel aspect of golf and the anticipation of going somewhere and, and what happens after. And so it is a little bit about that. And I, you know, the Scottish people, I guess, because it's generally cold, they are the masters of soup. I, that, uh, you know, they just, they're the best. I mean, they're, 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 there's, you know, and the, and, you know, a soup and a sandwich after a round, um, when you've been out in a nice 60 to 55 degree day, um, it's hard to beat. And, um, but yeah, I, I could I could write a story about the different types of soup. I mean, I had one at Presswick for God's sake. Um, it was uh, leek and blue cheese soup, and this has been twenty five years ago. And my dad still talks about we whenever we get together on like Fourth of July or something, he'll say, "You remember that soup we had at Presswick?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, I remember it very well." <laughs> um, and it just I don't know. They're just, they're, they're very masterful. And, and look, the food over there is just brilliant. I mean, I don't know the, for the longest time, the sort of the story or the, the sort of trope was, Oh, the food in the UK is terrible. It is not terrible. It is, it is excellent. And, uh, you know, there's so many nice restaurants in Scotland that focus on like local produce and local, you know, local uh, meat and, and local seafood and, um, so yeah, I, I definitely, and it's, you can, it's throughout my book because I, you know, you know, Robbie and I had some oysters on call and say that, um, I still think about that the, the manager of the hotel told me that they'd just come out of the water that morning. And, um, it's hard to describe, you know, if you've had seafood that fresh, it's a different, a different level, but yeah, I, I, I definitely the the food aspect of it is uh, certainly something that I I do enjoy writing about. Jim, I got to ask you if you had could only play one hole in Scotland the rest of your life, what would it be? Take us to take us to that special place and paint us the picture in the way only you can. Oh, it's such a tough question, and it would come down to two holes at, at Dunaverty. Uh, the fourth and the eleventh, but I, I've written a lot about the fourth, and I've got it ranked number one in my in my book. I, I 
at the back where I've got my top 100 holes. But I actually think it would probably be the 11th hole um, there. And I, it sort of plays a big role in the book. Um, I mentioned it several times and then sort of in kind of the penultimate chapter, I, it, it, a lot of it takes place on the 11th. And it's just, um, it's the high point of the course. Um, you climb up, you play this par three, the 10th, which is straight uphill and you, you climb up there and then you go up a little bit more to get to this tee and you can just see everything. You can see the entire course from there. Um, you can see Ireland in the distance. You can see Denaverty Rock. You can see the Kill Hotel. Um, you can see Kilbrannan Sound, Sanda Island. I mean, you're just standing there and you're just, you really, every time to this day, and I've probably played it a hundred times, um, I pause for a minute and just take it all in. Uh, I don't know that I've ever just gone up there and just hit my tee shot. I'll, I'll, I'll stand there for a couple of minutes, or in some cases I'll sit. There's a bench there that I, I love and I, I've talked about in the book a little bit. It's actually on the ladies' tee, uh, or the red tee, I should say. Um, and, um, you know, it's just the most incredible view. You see this just rolling lynx land that nobody could – if you had, if you got Rob Collins or, you know, Gil Hance or Ben Crenshaw, they couldn't, they could not create this I and mean, it could not be done. I mean, you get, you, and, and you just, you're just in awe of this sort of landscape and these, these golf holes. And you can see all the holes in the distance. You can see the 10th and the 9th and further down, you can see the 7th behind the 11th. I mean, the 7th and the, um, uh, no, the eighth and the eleventh green are sort of back to back, and uh, I don't know. It's just this, and and then the shot itself. It's a, it's a two hundred and I think it's two hundred sixty five yard par four. Plays down downhill. You know, if the wind's behind you, you know, you probably hit a five iron, Kevin. Um, but it, it, what's great about it is, uh, well, there's a lot that's great about it. But there is a, there is a mound about. And this is just brilliant. And I don't know I, I, whoever the, the members laid this place out. Not you got to give them credit. A hundred and something years ago, but there's a mound about 40, 50 yards in front of the green. And if you hit a tee shot that hits into that mound, it'll just kill it dead. And uh, but if you happen to fly it, it'll it'll run all the way down to the green. And uh, you know, I've seen a lot of times where people hit a shot, they're like, that's going to be, that's going to be perfect. And they've killed it. It doesn't even matter how hard you hit it. If it hits into that little, that hill, it just stops it. And that's just such a great strategic aspect. I mean, you know, you've got to decide in your case, probably, um, do I hit a five iron um, or do I hit a three wood or something and try to, you know, get over this. And um, it's just, it's just pure fun. I mean, you're, you know, Half the time you're probably going to birdie, but if you do pull one in the rough, or you know, you know, you you, you could easily make a double. Um, and um, I don't know. It's just that's the one I would I would never get tired of playing. I mean, it. Um, I've I've eagled it, uh, made birdie. I've made a this last trip. I think in the tournament I made a triple on it because I I hooked one left into the into the high stuff and tried to hack it out. Um, and um, which you know, one thing I you do sort of learn about playing over there. Sometimes discretion is the better part of valor and <laughs> taking unplayable live instead of trying to hack it out of some of this stuff. But, um, but yeah, that, that would be the whole, I mean, it's, uh, 
Uh, I write about it a lot. Um, I love it, um, and it just and it it, it makes me happy that um, there's so many people that I've over the last few years that I've recommended that they go there. And I, I mean, I, whenever somebody posts a picture, uh, it's almost always of that tea, and they're like, "Jim, I'm on the 11th," and thank you for telling me about this place and it's incredible. It just makes me feel good because it really is. Um, that would be the one. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I didn't rank it number one. Um, but it, that would be the hole that I would, that I would want to keep playing. Yeah. And that was a dare to Mr. Collins, right? That he could not recreate it. I think I, that was, that's what I heard, right? You're like, look, Rob, I bet I dare you. I don't you. know if you've been to Landman yet, Matt. I know Kevin Kevin and I played there together last year. Uh, Coming but, up, baby. We got our, our well, summer medal there, Jim. We're headed August 10th good, and 11th. Uh, because it is a masterpiece. And um, it, it has a lot of the elements that I love about places like Denaverty and Macrahanish and, and just, you know, the shots that you can play off of slopes and mounds and the strategy um, it's just a, it's a masterpiece i mean i you know rob's obviously a friend of ours but um you know i could play that place every day i, I wish it wasn't <laughs> i wish it wasn't a 15 hour drive from here but um you know i got to play it last year i went up with my son jake and it we were the only people this is before you got you guys got there kevin rob and jake and i were the only people in the entire golf course and we got to play it um and it was just a, that's a day I'll never forget. I mean, we, and then the the round after where we all joined up and played together was just as much fun. Uh, and just being there with him and, and hearing the thoughts and, and I went up there and I didn't mean to get off on, on this, but I just, I think about that place a lot. Um, I went up there during construction and walked it with Rob and Tad. And I just remember thinking, okay, this place is going to be so hard. I won't break 250. I'm like, I, I, I'm like, I won't, I, I won't even be able to finish some of these holes. I, I could see how good it was going to be. And it had everything that I love about golf, but I was just like, this is just too hard. I mean, and this is where it was still mostly dirt and uh, the wind was blowing 30 miles an hour. I just remember thinking, okay, this is just going to be too hard. But I think I shot 89 or something, you know, <laughs> I mean, which was good for me. It was fun. I didn't I don't think I lost a golf ball that first round. Uh, but at the same time, players like Kevin who plays off, you know, plus two or something, it challenges them and it makes them, uh, and that's, what's great about it to, to be able to, to, to design something that's fun for a, a 15 handicap. And it's challenging for a plus two. That is, that's hard to do. And, uh, they've done it. And, um, uh, I didn't mean to, but of, of the places I've played in the U.S. the last few years, that's the one that just stands out to me. And I wish I could come up for your your thing about that. I'm actually going to be back in Scotland <laughs> on the 10th and the 11th. I'm, not, I'm actually playing a tournament. I'm playing in the Iona Open on the 11th, um, and um, which is a – I cannot wait. I'm going to write about it too. But they have a tournament there where um, it's 18 holes, but um, – these guys, there's only like 20 members on the island. And the way they play is they play 11 holes and throw out their best 
their worst two scores, and that's that's how they play. And they don't. They, he said we hardly ever play all eighteen. We just stop on the eleventh. <laughs> and I just and that's what their tournament is. You play you play eleven holes. It's not handicapped, and you get to throw out your worst two scores, and whoever has the best nine hole total wins. And um, so I'm excited for that. I can't wait to get out there again. And um, it's just a unbelievable place. And I'm gonna write a I'm gonna write a story for Link's Diary about it. And um, I've got a couple other ones I'm working on for them, but that one's that one. And they call, and this y'all will love this. They call themselves the honor, the honorable company of Iona golfers. <laughs> and, um, love it. it's just, and they have a, they have Fantastic. a, I, I get excited about this stuff. So forgive me, but they have a, they have an annual match with Muirfield where they actually go to, and the Muirfield members have come and played there, believe it or not. Uh, and they love it. And you could not find two more diametrically opposed. I just mentioned early in this podcast that Muirfield is literally the perfect golf course. And then you have one that is maintained by sheep and a broken down lawnmower that, you know, <laughs> that Finley cuts if he's lucky once a month, if the lawnmower works. Um, I mean, it's funny. We, we were playing there this last time with Tron and, you know, <laughs> after I'd played there before Tron Hatton and, I think Tron asked Finley, he said, well, which way does this break? And <laughs> Finley said, don't worry about the break. He said, just hit it straight at the hole. It's either going to go right or left. It, it, there's no way to tell. And that, that, so that, that was his – and he was right because you would hit it straight at the hole, and sometimes it would bounce and go in the hole, and sometimes it would bounce, you know, three feet to the right. It just – it didn't – it was just – I don't know. I, I love stuff like that. I love playing golf that way. Um, so that was kind of – it just made me think about – about that it was kind of a long answer with i don't know if landman and i own a golf club have ever been mentioned in the same breath but but now now they have <laughs> so <laughs> the more i i think we all of us here have been fortunate to play big names in big places and you brought up Mirfield, and you know you can't get a tea time at landman i mean everyone's just hankering for the top the best of the best and and that'll always persist but you you highlight what I think is the um, common denominator of all golfers everywhere, Jim, by highlighting these places. And and the more and more I, I get places, I don't have a list, but if there was, I get to you know say it was the top 100 course, blah, blah, blah. The more I have that experience, the more I realize how that pursuit is endless and will never really give you joy. And if you can't go to an Iona, if you can't go to a Butte, if you can't go to these places and find the 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 essence of golf, of people, you're just not going to be happy. And I and I that's what's going to be my last point of this whole thing. And uh, that thank you for writing about this the way that you do, man. It's really a a area that hasn't been done especially well. I feel and. Um, and you do it so seamless, so easily. Well, I appreciate that. I love these places. They're the they're the heart and soul of golf, in my opinion. Um, and you know, there's there's places, a few places like that in the U.S. If you're lucky to be able to, to get to them, and you can find them, not as many as there are in Scotland. I mean, you drive by one, you drive by a community course every ten minutes in Scotland, and you think, man, I need to stop here. <laughs> you know, you just you, 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 it, it happens every day, um, but. Yeah, I mean, I just uh, that's the kind of golf I like, and I, I don't, 
I don't have a problem. If people like trying to collect the top 100, that's great. I mean, that there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, some like I've always said, I don't, I don't try to judge how people enjoy golf. I mean, if somebody enjoys recounting every single shot they hit um, on Twitter, more power to them. Um, you know, they may not enjoy some something I post from Bernard Darwin or Pat Ward Thomas or Michael Bamberger or something I've written. But I know there's enough people out there that do enjoy that part of it. And you and you said that at the start, Matt. I mean, I've and you and I, I think, talked about this a few years ago at Sweetens. I mean, I'm definitely, I definitely lean toward the philosophical side of golf. I mean, I'm strong, I'm firmly in that camp. And you know, that's not for everybody, but it is for me. And there's a lot of people that like that. And these courses, to me, bring out everything that's great about the game. Um, you know, I like going with my dad around here to these. There's a few of these country courses that are still left. Uh, unfortunately, they 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 are disappearing. Um, you know, as people sell them off for to build, you know, subdivisions and and things. And you know, it makes it interesting. And I, I, this is forgive me for another tangent that just popped into my head. But you know, you read sometimes about people that are uninformed about golf saying golf is bad for the environment. You know, look at, look at the land that they're taking up and look at the water they're using. I got news for these people. Golf is great for the environment. If we didn't have golf, you know, what would be at this, these places, it'd be a subdivision. It'd be multifamily housing. It would be some monstrosity and I'm an architect and I like building buildings. Don't get me wrong, but golf gives something to the world that we're lucky that we have. Um, you know, this course that my dad and I would go play uh, was called Fox Run. It was just this country course that some guy had built. And it was so much fun. He had some quirky little holes, and uh, we'd go out there and have a good time. And people were always out there playing. Uh, they shut down about a year ago, and he, he's, the, the, so, the, the city had grown so much and expanded so much out to where they were. It got to where the land was just worth too much for him to, to keep a golf course there. Um, and so this is what happens. I mean, you know, these places are, think about what the world would be like if we didn't have places like Brora and Denaverty and Durness and Corey. I mean, it would be a much, much lesser place for all of us. Uh, and I know that I'm framing this all in terms of golf, but it's not just golf. I mean, um, so these places are important and thank God that they're still around. And if I've helped a little bit by getting some people to go to Denaverty, you know, I, 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 I was worried, you know, and I've asked, I think I've even got this in the book. Um, you know, should I be calling attention to these places? I mean, may, maybe these people like it the way it is. Maybe they like having it to mm -hmm. themselves. And I brought this up uh, to some of the members again, when I was over for this book signing, and they were like, no, Jim, thank you so much for writing about this. We've had the most visitors in the last three years that we've ever had. You know, we've been able to buy new uh, a new lawnmower. We've been able to buy new greenskeeping equipment. Um, and, you know, the thing about it is, Matt, these places, as much as I write about them, they're never going to be overrun because – it's still a certain kind of golfer that's going to want to seek this, th these things out. And so for somebody to make the time to go to Denaverty or Macrahannis or drive all the way to Durness, it's going to be somebody that is looking for that. 
and it's not going to be, it'll never be overrun, but hopefully it'll be enough to where, you know, and you, again, you and I, we've all talked about how much we love the model of golf in Scotland and how it's a democratic game and how it's affordable for most people. This is how these people um, are able to have their low, their low membership dues is by, by visitor play. So, you know, I think it's great. And I, if I, if I can help a little bit, um, I know some of these courses got hit hard by the pandemic and have struggled to re- recover. Um, but if I can help a little bit and I just, I love it. And I, I love, I love the, the fact that, um, some of these designs, if, if you tried to do it today, people would put you in a mental hospital. Um, you know, um, I mean, Corey, I'll shut up in a minute, but, you know, we were at Corey standing up on the hill and Tron said, I cannot believe this place. I literally cannot believe what I'm, what I'm, what I'm seeing here. And I'm like, yeah, do you think I was lying to you? <laughs> do you think I was making it up? I mean, and thank God that there, that there are places like that. And thank God that they let people like us come play and they welcome us and we don't have to beg somebody or write a, you know, beg some friend to call a friend to get us on somewhere. I mean, um, so thank God that that's in, is still there in golf. So I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet because I, I got on my soapbox a little bit. No, that's fine. <laughs> well, welcomed on this show when it comes to the, the, the way that culture intertwines with the golf. I, I think that that's a, salient point where we always kind of get back to on this show, no matter who our guest is, uh, is how do, how do we better reflect, you know, society with our golf? And I think one area, God, that every time I come back, you know, I just was in Ireland and very similar ethos. Every time I come back, it's like conditioning and equipment and, and hours even invested of their, of their people's time. Everybody's working more short-staffed after pandemic and things of that nature, but it's good enough. And people are, are content with that. And they're, they're content with visitors because the visitors help them not raise dues and have all the teachers in the club no longer afford it, have all the, uh, you know, the nurses and, you know, people that are everyday people in their community. They don't want them out of their club. And here I feel just, it's been the opposite, which is, how do we get those people out of the club? How do we go to the next tier? I need to have this reputation. I need to have, and and it's just, it breaks my heart a lot of times when I look at community after community that doesn't have this um, available to more people. And uh, and they're, they just, they don't, they don't see it the way that we've been able to experience it. I think, Jim. No, yeah. they don't, and it it it, it can we, work here, but it just people are so closed minded. Um, it just it's it's sad. I mean, you know, I think the pandemic has shown how great golf is. I mean, you know, it it sh- it shows what a great sport it is, and what a great way to spend your time, and and gives you a way to get some exercise and be outside, and um, you know. It's sad to me that a lot of these, going back to some of these courses that I grew up playing around here that have, that have now been closed and somebody's turned them into a, a subdivision or somebody's mansion or something. And um, so, again, I, we need these kind of places. And and look, I, I'm just like y'all. If, if Kevin texted me tonight and said, hey, Jim, um, I've got us a time at Fisher's Island on Saturday. <laughs> Can you fly up here? 
I'd be like, let me see if I can do it. <laughs> I mean, yes, of course I would. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't do that? But I, I don't, that's not the, that's not the journey for me. The journey for me is to find these places that where the soul of golf is, is there and it's on display and it's, it's, you can experience it firsthand. And, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep doing it as long as I can. Again, I'm going back in August and I'm going to play another open at Denaverty and with Robbie and, um, try to win one there, um, which is on my bucket list to, to win a, an open. Um, I've played in probably, I don't know, 50 of them over the years. And I, I don't know if I've, maybe I've finished in the top 10 once, but it, you know, I could and I could sit here and talk about the open competitions for 20 minutes. I mean, that's another aspect of the things that they do over there that are just—it's just brilliant. It's just the way that golf should be. Um, you know, it should be something that everybody can do, and everybody should have the chance to do it. And uh, that's just my my feeling. So, hey, you go you go win that open, and you'll in our 167 episodes of the Bag Drop, you will be the first three time guest. <laughs> How about that? Well, I like talking to you guys. I mean, Kevin's a good friend and, you know, you, you think about golf the same way I do. And, um, you know, I can, I can always count on Kevin to, you know, to, to read what I've written and offer some, some nice comments on it. And I feel like that, um, you know, there's a lot of us out there that, that look at golf this way. And, um, I think it's become fortunately, and that's one great thing about social media. It gets, it gets, you know, it gets, and I'm on Twitter all the time, but, um, it has brought people together that are like-minded about certain things and it gives you a way to meet people. And so I'm, I'm still a proponent of, you know, even though it can be a very dark place, I, 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 I use it for golf and it's great for golf. And, um, so yeah, I mean, I, Anytime you guys, you know, I know I'm probably a step down from all the celebrities that have that have that have that have been on, but I I I, I love doing it, and I'm I'm happy to to do it anytime. And I do I do hope people will. Stephen and I have another um, episode of uh, Duffers coming out on July the seventh. We're going to talk about uh, the history of American golf riding. Uh, mainly focusing on Dan Jenkins, uh, Herbert Warren Wynn, and Charles Price, and then after that, we're just going into ind- individual books. And I, and we're our first guest um, uh, for an individual book is going to be a man called Tom Morton, who lives in Shetland, on Scotland, and, and wrote a book called Hell's Golfer. And I am so excited uh, to talk to him and talk about this book, which had a huge influence on me. It came out about the same time as To the Lynx Land, and I would put it had. I'll shut up here, but you know, you, you've asked me about these how I how I found a lot of these courses. Tom's book was the first one I ever read that had Denaverty, Caradale, Askernish, these places I had never heard of, and um, so I'm I'm hoping to I can't wait to have him on. He's written a lot of books since then, but uh, that's. Uh, that's another place that just kind of inspired his writing kind of inspired me to visit these places and, and write about them. So, um, again, thank you guys. And, uh, you know, anytime, yeah. just let me know. Yeah, we, we will. You have to win the open though at, uh, 
Uh, which one is this? Ionia this you're well, I'm playing an open at Iona, but I'm also playing one at Denaverty. Um, either, either right, one. We'll give you, we'll give either you two one. Chances. I mean, either either right. one. You have to win. You have to take down the tight. Well, Jim, the short game has to be. I've a got open. a better chance. My short game is perfect right now. I, I, I it's crazy. <laughs> I mean, um, I've seen it. It's good. We, we, I won the mem- I can the member member at Sweetens a couple of weeks ago. I have to throw that in. Um, and I, I had a partner. Uh, a, great gentleman called ryan um and he he was a good he, he was a good player but and but we were just a perfect team you know we played alternate shot and i was chipping it you know kevin with that eight iron from 50 yards and running it up a foot from the hole and he was just like how are you i, I don't even understand that shot and i'm like well it's a, <laughs> it's, a it's a it's a run-up shot um you know it um but yeah, I, I I I'm gonna try to keep that sharp for Iona and Denaverty and uh, and hopefully I can can win one of them. Well, Jim, it's it's been an absolute pleasure being back with you, my friend, and thank you for sharing uh, so much of this in audio form. I think you put your heart in into this book fully, and it and it comes jumping off the page at you. Uh, I I can't wait for the NLU series. Or I can't wait for. Um, the next one, just what you do for golfers like us, golfers like those that probably listen to this show, it uh, it can't be understated. It's important. It helps us all sharing it. Um, I know it's hard work. Keep keep at Thank it, my you. friend. I appreciate it, Professor. Any closing? Just yeah, Jim, you're a special friend of mine. Um, we met was at, at October at that event. You were the first person I met at the uh, the regional ringer, um, and like you said, golf golf brings us together. And uh, I'm fortunate that you were the first person I met on that trip because you've, you know, since that we've stuck together, been through a lot, um, and I'll be forever th- forever thankful for. Yeah, that. we walked out and played the fifth hole, which is my favorite hole at Sweetens. Um, I know yours is the second, but um, I remember that like it was yesterday, and it was. Um, yeah, it was, it was great. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad we've got to be friends, notwithstanding that you're a Georgia and Ohio state fan. I'll, I'll forgive you for that. But, uh, you know, it just shows that people from all walks of life can, can get along. (laughs) And and that we all make mistakes, right? right? (laughs) Thanks guys. Thanks again. We'll, we'll, We'll see you soon. Bye. the game beautiful he's a special voice in golf he, re- he really is and i'm glad he has found literature his, as his outlet writing as his outlet um because the more we can hear from him the more people hear from him the better game the game's going to be i i kind of shared my my takeaway with him there towards the tail end uh and we could have gone on for hours but what uh what was your kind of summarize your feelings around our, our chat with jim yeah try to get this short you know this is going to be a long episode already but like I think, okay, so starting out like the big ethos, like golf is a vehicle for so much. Um, meaning golf itself doesn't matter. I mentioned it's a silly game. It's a hobby, right? But what's important is what it affords, what golf affords. And it just makes me think of one, like the PGA Tour stuff conversation going on. I'm probably going to make some people mad. It's all bullshit. Like it doesn't matter. Like yeah. we spend all this time talking about it, live PGA Tour. In the world of golf, it means nothing. And we, sh- we should treat it as it means nothing towards the game of golf. It's not golf. Like golf is a bigger vehicle than that for life, right? Like golf is about connection. At the end of the day, 
golf is about connection, connecting. He said, you know, being friendly, right? You brought up, I think yeah. one of the things you mentioned, I've never thought about the golf as an organism, like the flow at the old course really stood out to me. And it's like, I've never heard it said that way. And I think of like, let's take American golf, the idea of playing through, like pushing groups, let us play through whatever, like overseas when we played over there, I never, I don't recall any groups ever playing through anyone. Like it was just, a, like you said, an organism no, and, and, that and not flows because together. They, they wouldn't because there's more prevalent uh, acceptance that, I, my responsibility is to stay with the group in front of me. Yeah, it's like you're- To everyone else, to everyone else behind you're me. You're all sharing an experience. You're all connected out there. You're all a singular organism, as you right. mentioned. And that flows into the town. You talk about La Hinch all the time. The old course, like this flow, like it is this like just interconnected nature, right? I feel like you need to be on shrooms right now or something to like, <laughs> like experience and think through that, right? Like, and it's just, that really stood out to me and everything Jim said, I think probably- echoes that point golf is about connectedness and and togetherness and sharing and, and just life um yeah and it's that makes it beautiful that really does yeah well it's well said well thanks again to our uh sponsor of the podcast this month the nv5 invitational golf's future stars are coming back to the Glen club with new summer dates it's going to be july 25th through 30th the corn Ferry tour season is definitely heating up and you can watch the game's future stars compete for a coveted spot on the pga tour all four rounds will also be streamed live on barstool.tv first golf event for barstool uh they'll have all their well-known personalities dan rapaport uh, uh, Frankie, uh, Riggs, uh, who am I missing? Some of those other guys, Trent, excuse me, Trent. Um, they're all going to be on that coverage. And then you can visit nv5invitational.com to secure tickets or upgrade to the hangar presented by Corona Premier for an all-inclusive experience. You can find out who's coming next at the Glen Club this July. Professor, thanks for a great morning. Uh, enjoy your weekend. We'll, we'll talk to you soon. See you, man.